Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. say hello oh it's so kind you being friendly to each other hallelujah amen before we get started tonight i have a book up here if anybody desires to have it after church it's called addicted to busy addicted to busy you want to know it It is a good little book uh says we are all spread too thin taking on more than we can handle and trying to do so much so it's almost if we are afraid that if we take a moment of rest, we might discover that all of our busyness is covering up an essential lack in our lives. That lack is our rest. But God never meant for us to be so busy. God desires peace for us. God desires rest. It's a good book. Addicted to busy. I believe anybody in this generation and time could probably have benefit from that book right there. It was beneficial to me. Amen. Turning now, though, to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians 3 has been our springboard for the past two weeks. And now for number three, Colossians 3 and verse number two. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This is our third week in our Forgive and Forget series, and we are still considering the four stages of forgiving. The four stages of forgiving so far, we've been dabbling, trying to get through, number one, hurt. Number two stage is hate. Number three, healing. Number four, coming together. And within or underneath that hurt umbrella, we have talked about personal hurt. We have talked about unfair hurt. And we're going to delve into uh, the hurt, meeting the qualification of being deep here this evening amen we're going to pray here together and i'll probably not really review much last week we'll just try to get walking all right father i come to you tonight i'm grateful lord jesus to be here thankful lord for the body of people that have come together lord to once again god to consider scriptures consider lord the concept and the idea of forgiveness lord that has written your word you said god it was important for it to even be preached and i pray oh god tonight we're talking about it here this evening hoping lord it will help us in our individual lives, God, and bringing awareness, Lord, to the body of Christ. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Four stages of forgiving. So we are still in stage number one, hurt. Uh, hurt uh, initializes uh, your need for forgiveness. And we've talked about personal hurt. It must be personal. It must be unfair and that means that you didn't deserve it or was it necessary and also the third qualification if we were to call it that is that the hurt must be the hurt must be deep uh, we may mention maybe last week I don't remember if it was sometimes the weeks get melded together and blended but just as it would be meaningless to make every cut an emergency room visit you know uh, every scratch well I gotta go to the emergency room or you know, every hangnail, i got to go to the emergency room. Uh, just as much as it would be meaningless for all of those to be emergency room visits, it is likewise senseless to make every wound a forgiveness issue. Because in both regards, if you're talking about an emergency room or you're talking about forgiveness, both of those things, may their, their, the seriousness of them, the importance of them, their degree of importance may be cheapened if there's a consistent repetition of misapplication. You understand what I'm saying? So there are some things in our lives, our real everyday lives, that we, we can tolerate. But if we find them uh, separating us from a particular person, you can tolerate certain things about people. But if you find it separating you concerning being able to have a relationship or forging a relationship with that person uh, who may have brought this thing on you that you're quote-unquote tolerating, then 
something else may be required. It may require forgiveness if it's causing that divide and schism and separation between you and another person. And so with that being said, whenever we talk about there's some things we can tolerate or not everything necessarily demands, you know, a forgiveness or emergency room type of situation because part of living in our world, part of living in today's world and society is that superficial woundings is just a part of sometimes living life and experiencing life. When you live in the real world and you're not a hermit all to yourself, isolated, and you never have an interaction with another person, but whenever you interact with people, superficial wounding is just a part of what we experience. My case in point or analogy for that purpose is if you've ever been in a big city or been in an area where there is a large crowd and a lot of people and it's almost as though you're shoulder to shoulder and toe to toe and you're trying to move around and do that Uh, you will exhaust yourself if you expect to grant and receive forgiveness from every person that accidentally brushed your shoulder or or each time you accidentally nudge somebody with your elbow uh, you would probably not get very far. You'd be saying, oh, sorry, thank you. Oh, it's okay, sorry. Yes, thank you. Okay, it's sorry. You just, and the reason why is because in such type of environment, those types of things are expected. And so with that, living in the real world and having relationships, there are certain things that just come with the territory of relationships and they just come with the territory of living in this real world. You'll uh, exhaust yourself if you're just going to go every little iota, every little annoyance, every little thing that comes down the pike that you believe that forgiveness has to be granted or received. David, David understood this as he was uh, leaving Jerusalem And his son Absalom, the Bible says, at this point in time was looking to usurp or take over his daddy's throne. He was going to try to do it by force. And whenever David learned word of this, of Absalom going to do this, rather than putting up a fight and getting the armies together, he just decided he and a few men, they're just going to leave Jerusalem. They're going to leave Jerusalem. They're going to pass over Jordan. And the Bible says as they are making their way in that direction, that there was a man by the name of Shimei. Uh, Some of you will remember this from reading your Bible, that Shimei came out and started to curse King David, started to curse him, was kicking up dust off the street toward him, casting stones at him and began to curse him and uh, said several mean-spirited things, if you will, to David. And there were some group of men that was with him, some leaders with him, uh, that, that David uh, was addressing because they said, David, let me just put it in paraphrase terms, David, just allow us to go over there and knock that, head's, that guy's head off his shoulders. You know, just allow us to go over and just, you know, just mop, mop him up with a broom or something, you know. And, but David told them, he said, no. He said, just let him curse. That was David's words. He's kings. He said, just let him curse. And David really put all things in perspective because he said, my own son is seeking my life. My own son is coming after me. And so if my own flesh and blood son is coming after me wishing to take the throne, then what in the world would keep this man that's not even related, unrelated to me, what would keep him from cursing me? He said, just let him curse. Furthermore, Whenever David was going to come back to Jerusalem and Absalom had been taken care of, Absalom had been killed, not by David, but had been taken care of. He's coming back across the Jordan. He was met, guess who? By, once again, Shimei. And there's Shimei, repentant. There's Shimei, apologizing for what he did whenever the king had left Jerusalem. And then one of the... The same men that had said before, why don't we just knock his head off? They're saying again, David, I know he's coming here with his hat in his hand, but let's cut off his hands, you know. Let's, let's, let's just do something and take care of him. But again, uh, David spoke to this respect. He said, he said that there's no need for him to lose his life today. Uh, He's seen that what Shimei had done was just nothing more but a superficial wounding that, mark my words, that just came with the territory of being king. Meaning this, there's always going to be somebody to speak to you whenever you're in a certain place of leadership. And there's just certain aspects of that that you just, certain aspects of that that if it doesn't cause an schism between you and another person and you just can't necessarily reach out to them, there's certain aspects of that. You just got to let it go. 
The Bible says in 2 Samuel 19 and verse 22, this is what David said. And David said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerai, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? These are the ones that want to take care of Shimei. He said, shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? These these are rhetorical questions. For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? You know what David is saying? David's saying, I don't need to take anybody's life today to prove that I'm in control as king. I know I left because Absalom was seeking my throne and Shimei said everything. I said, let him curse and now I'm back and he's repentant and he's apologizing. But we don't have to take his life in order to prove anything. Amen. And being king, what David is basically relaying is being king just warrants some attacks. Being king causes there just to be every once in a while a cursing of the people at times. And so he's saying this isn't necessarily anything out of the ordinary. We can go on beyond this. We don't have to exact someone's life or we don't, and for our purposes, we don't have to exact necessarily some type of forgiveness to this individual for what has been done because this is just par for course. And so there are certain things in our life that are just that. They are superficial woundings. But then there are other hurts. There are other hurts as well that may be a little deeper. But before we get to them, let's consider some of those things that might be under the umbrella of superficial hurts or hurts that might be able to be tolerated. Number one, annoyances. Does anybody ever just, or something that someone did just ever annoy you? You know, if I just sit here all night and scratching, that's why I was talking. It might start to get on somebody's nerves. Probably get on mine. It's just annoyances, just, just little things that happen that, you know, kind of get under your skin. You know, sometimes people have certain aspects about their personality that just kind of, you know, meshing with yours just kind of just, just annoys you a little bit. Some, some household annoyances. Somebody puts the tape toilet paper roll with it coming over rather than under now that's nothing you have to go necessarily seek forgiveness for or give forgiveness over it's just an annoyance it's just a superficial you're saying it's worse enough that it's going to put a division that you got to get that taken care of well okay if it's uh, we better look go through the personal unfair and then you know hurt category here you know a dirty dish that wasn't put in the sink it's left on the table I know some people are like, I can't believe it. But when you really get down to it, it's just an annoyance. Because for every person that says all the dirty dishes belong in the sink, there are others here tonight that says it's okay if there's one that's on the table. Just because you believe it to be one way, there's other people just as comfortable the other direction. Amen. So they're just annoyances. It annoys you because you're not like that. But it annoys them because you are like that. Oh, whoo, my goodness, my socks ain't high enough to put up my legs where I need to be. Amen. So, so annoyances, that's, that's just some of the, what can be superficial wounding. Some other superficial woundings can be being slighted. What are you talking about that? I'm talking about being snubbed a little bit. Because what happens a lot of times, we have minor wounds that happen to our self-esteem. Somebody that you met, you know, you even exchanged first names. You had a whole five minutes with them. Maybe there's somebody important. You see them later in another atmosphere, and they don't remember who you are. I can't believe I spent five minutes with them. We shook hands and exchanged first names, and they don't remember who I am. That's just a slight. That's what you may feel as though is a snub. In reality, they probably really don't remember you. Nothing about you. Not that you're not a great person or anything, but sometimes we get our esteem out there. Smead said it like this. He said, slights hurt because we are unsure of ourselves. Needy creatures walking among people whose notice we need to support our self-esteem. Oh, he said that so well. We see even a little happening of that in Scripture in 2 Kings 13 and verse number 14, the Bible says, and the, 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 Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the present of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, which was a true worshiper of God, he says, I would not look toward thee. He's speaking about King Jehoram, 
who was the king of Israel at that time, who was an idolater, nor see thee. In other words, he was saying, I wouldn't even give you the time of day right now had it not been for this, that, this man over here, Jehoshaphat, that I am familiar with. Amen. And so I, 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 he snubbed him a little bit in doing so. And, and because he was an idolater and he had some willful disobedience in his life. So that's another wounding. Another wounding that might happen that not, doesn't necessarily necessitate forgiveness is disappointments. Dis- you ever been disappointed? Something didn't come to play like you thought it was? Somebody didn't do something that you thought they were going to do? Some unmet expectation? You know the real disappointments that we need to be able to let go of? The ones where we had expectations and we didn't let the other person know that we had the expectation of. They met an unspoken, ex- they didn't meet an unsp- unspoken expectation. Realize how high of a standard we put on people and the expectations we have of them when we never relayed what expectation we have. But God bless that dirty dog who didn't meet my expectation and I even never told him what I expected. Huh? <laughs> so, so that's just superficial kind of this, this one may not resonate with everybody but another hurt or wound that maybe doesn't necessarily call for the emergency room is coming in second you ever aspired for something that a friend or someone else of yours aspired to and they got it and you didn't call it promotion All kinds of different categories could come in the pecking order there. Whatever it may be. You know what? They were just trying the same as you did. and They they got it. But then you feel like, bless God, what are they doing? They've wronged me. They got ahead of me. They think they're better than I am. Uh, Well, amen. Woundings. So while there are superficial ones, there are ones that are on the surface level, then there are other ones, though, that require and necessitate forgiveness. Woundings that go deep or that are deep enough that require forgiveness. And three of them that we'll look at very quickly are this. Number one, disloyalty. Number two, betrayal. And number three, brutality. If you'll remember in the scripture for an example of one of these, Peter, the apostle Peter, was disloyal to the Lord Jesus Christ when he denied him three times before the the cock crowed. He was disloyal to the Lord. He's warming himself by the fire. You're one of his. Yeah, I remember you. You was with him. No, I don't know that man. And what makes the disloyalty so so, uh, prominent and, and outstanding is this. This is a man that walked with the Lord, slept where the Lord slept, They were friends, received teaching of the Lord. He claimed him as his master. You understand? They had some form or type of relationship. They supported one another, put confidence in one another. And now Peter is saying, I don't know who he is. (laughs) Who's that guy? Jesus? Is that his name? You know? And so three times he did that. So he's disloyal unto the Lord. A good example of betrayal in Scripture then would be another disciple. Boy, they've taught us a lot of things through their successes and their failures. And that would be Judas. The Bible plainly says he betrayed him. But Judas betrayed the Lord whenever he sold the Lord to to his enemies for 30 pieces of silver. Amen. Amen. And we betray people. We betray people we belong to or that we're in relationship with whenever we sell them out for a certain price. Say like this. And listen, in essence then, people are disloyal when they vowed their commitment, or their support to you, and then you have given them your trust, because that's how things work. Someone vows their commitment, and what that reciprocates from you is trust in that they're going to be committed. And so they've given you your, their commitment, you have given them their trust, but whenever all this happens, and you've given them their trust, disloyalty happens then when that same person will treat you like a stranger. And betrayal happens when not only do they treat you like a stranger, but as Judas did, they treat you like an enemy. See, it just kind of goes up another degree. Smead said it like this, as a rule, 
We forgive people who belong to us in some way, spouses, children, parents, close friends. But sometimes we need to forgive strangers who bind themselves to us with a rope of woven brutality. But brutal people are not always strangers. There's some even here that can attest to that. In fact, most brutal people assault those they belong to. In 2 Samuel 13, this is probably a good example of this in my estimation. In 2 Samuel 13, it tells the story of Ammon and Tamar. Ammon and Tamar are half-brother and half-sister. Their father is King David. They're half-brother, half-sister. Ammon, the Bible says, is so vexed because he has fell in love with his half-sister Tamar. And he really wants to have relationships with his half-sister Tamar. And so he pretends to be sick and calls for David and asks David, David, could you have my sister Tamar come and prepare me and make me something to eat and some food and bring it here to the house and prepare it for me? And so David got Tamar. David's totally oblivious to what the whole plan and what, what, what Ammon has up his sleeves. And so he sends Tamar and Tamar goes to Ammon's house and she begins to prepare the meal right there before him and the meat. And she's going to give it to Ammon. But the Bible says that Ammon is refusing to eat. And so to go a step further, Ammon begins to persuade Tamar that she would even come into his bedchamber and feed it to him so that he might eat. And so she, she, she does exactly what he requests. She comes into his chamber to do this. And whenever she got in there, it was told that it is said that he told her, he said, lie with me, come and lie with me, come and lay with me. And the Bible says that she refused. And this is the story according to Scripture, 2 Samuel 13 and verse 14. And the Bible says, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice. This is Ammon. He wouldn't listen to Tamar. But being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. That, that he raped her. Then Ammon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Ammon said unto her, Arise and be gone. So here is... Here is in a family relationship, someone being brutal to another member of their family. Ammon, the Bible says that, that, that Tamar was a virgin. Ammon stole her virginity and basically raped his half-sister. Now, folks, that is a brutal hurt from someone that was related to them. And whenever experiences are brutal, what happens is this. The, you, whenever you received a brutal hurt or a brutal misgiving, a brutal wound, then you have been reduced. The other person have tried to reduce you to less than a human excellent individual that you are. They have reduced, they have tried to reduce your standard of just humanity. And whenever we see these type of hurts that are deep, that are brutal, we're talking about molestations. We're talking about rape. We're talking about all forms of sexual abuse. That is brutality. Whenever we're talking about these things, we're talking about physical abuse. Someone being bludgeoned with a fist or some object could be categorized very easily as a brutality, a deep hurt that is a brutality. Amen. Say, oh, brother, yes, here's the fact of the matter. Sometimes we don't always see these things because everything looks grand and well, right? Because you can have a man that claims to be faithful to his wife, but he's so faithful, he faithfully beats her. See what I'm talking about? Or you can have a woman that may never desert her family, never, never push them off or do them aside, but she may brutally batter her own children with some type of horrid mistreatment. That's brutality. That is trying to lower the degree of just humanity and excellence that is in their life. Amen? Now, here's the thing, though. Okay, then, Brother McGee, I got this. So brutality is when someone's been touched or someone has been violated in some way. Amen. Brutality doesn't always have to fall under the umbrella of a touch or some improper handling through a touch. Brutality can happen without anyone ever touching anyone. There may never be an external evidence. There may be, never be some type of physical evidence. But people suffer greatly from brutality when they have been psychologically brutalized through words. 
Uh-huh. Because that's, that's the hard one there. Because there's no quote-unquote evidence that can be seen with the negative eye. But I guarantee you there are people today that's sitting on couches with psychiatrists and they will tell you that there are some gaping wounds in that person's emotions and psyche because of verbal abuse. Because whenever you attack the esteem or you attack the character of a person, especially for the purpose of demeaning them and hurting them, that is brutality. That is brutality. And it necessitates forgiveness. It necessitates forgiveness to get through that and to get over that. You know what I'm So, hurt is the first stage, but underneath hurt, it must be personal, it must be unfair, and it must be deep. Guess what? Stage two. I know there's a lot of distance, it seems like, from first base to second base, okay? But stage two is this, hate. Everybody say, hate. Sends a shiver down your spine, doesn't it? Just to say it, hate. And there will be several people tonight. There'll be several people tonight that want to accept that they fall into the second stage of forgiving. Hate. They'll agree with me tonight. They'll be, and that's okay. They'll agree with me tonight that they've they've been hurt according to the qualifications. It's been personal, Brother McGee, and it's and it's been unfair and it's been deep. You'll agree with all that. But there'll be several here tonight that'll be slow to admit that they have hated or hate anyone. And I expected to hear crickets, and I hear them. In part, I think we have as a society, and partly because of our upbringing, to think for us not accepting the fact that we sometimes hate. We've been taught since children, if you've raised in any type of home, you've been taught since a child that it's wrong to hate and that you should not hate. And the Bible echoes those teachings as well. The Bible says in Leviticus 19, 17, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Amen. It teaches us when we look at Galatians 5, and we love to go through the fruits of the Spirit, but prior to them is the works of the flesh. And one of the works of the flesh, guess what? Is hatred. Hatred is a work of the flesh. But I believe this evening that we are afraid to be honest with ourselves because if we are, then there are some other things we're going to have to contend with. Things called shame and guilt that we'll have to deal with. As a matter of fact, Job said, they that hate thee shall be clothed with shame. So it's like the moment that there's an omission that you hate, then you got to deal with the guilt and the shame that comes along with the idea that you actually hated something. Smeed said this, he said, hate is our natural response to any deep and unfair pain. For instance, in Scripture, when we look at it, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing that he deceived their father in giving him. And he even later planted, planned that he would kill his brother. Joseph's brothers, right? Joseph's brothers hated him because of the favor he had from his dad, because of his dreams, because of the words that he spoke. The Bible says they even hated him the more because of his words. Ammon, the one that we just spoke of, Ammon ended up, look at this, Ammon ended up hating Tamar. He loved her after he, he forced her. Then he turned with the, same, with the same love that he had for her, he turned around to the same degree and hated her. And then the Bible says her full brother Absalom hated Ammon. So we got hate, 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 double hate. It felt like <laughs> totally loathe. I mean, you know, because of the indiscretion that was, that was shown. I'd even go on to say tonight that hate is the response, to bring some clarity, hate is the response of our human nature. So we don't want, we don't want to admit that we would ever hate somebody because I'm a blessed God 50-year-old Pentecost. I dress right, speak right, spit white. But guess what? You still have a human nature. And I'd be a monkey's uncle if there isn't a moment in time somewhere in your lifetime that you've not hated or presently in a moment of hate. Not because you're not spiritual, but because you do have a human nature. On any given day, ladies and gentlemen, 
we may be more yielding to the human nature than we are the spiritual nature. Right? Titus 3.3 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, look at it now, hateful, and hating one another. He says, we were sometimes. But the writer here in Titus goes on and he alludes to the fact that things have changed since we've experienced the kindness of God and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You can read it in Titus 3. Yet further down, when you get down to like verse number 9, he tells those that have been renewed in the Holy Ghost and have the kindness of God and the mercies of God, he tells them then, avoid X, Y, and Z. What? You're talking to... You're talking the renewed Holy Ghost? Mm, field person right here. Yet he tells those people, avoid X, Y, and Z. Why? Because he knows they got a human nature. He knows they have a human nature. And he knows that they would have a pro- propensity or proclivity or a tendency towards some of those things. We have a hate nature. And sometimes we do allow ourselves to be strong-armed by our hate nature. Some days more than others. In some circumstances more than others. But it's going to happen, Brother Terry. And it is okay as a child of God to own that you might be in a period of a hateful disposition towards somebody. It's okay to own that with yourself. Hey, now look at this. I, I went just to a, com- I think, dictionary.com, or, or it might have been one on my desk. I'm not sure. I got a dictionary on my desk, but I just looked up the definition of hate, all right? Because I know sometimes we say hate, and everybody's like, <gasps> and if someone says that they hated someone, they're like, <gasps> they are hellbound. <laughs> so serious. I mean, short of exorcism, nerd without hope. But hate defined as a verb, listen to this, because think, think about yourself, okay, for a moment. Hate defined as a verb is to dislike intensely or passionately. Feel extreme aversion for or extreme hostility toward. Detest. Now, that don't sound near as severe as what I try to play it off to be sometimes. And so based upon that definition, if I use that definition... As a benchmark, then I'll admit to you as your pastor right now tonight that I have hated and I am presently working through some feelings of hate. Introspectively, I'll tell you tonight, and I would say there are some people that I do dislike intensely and even detest, Brother Fred. And I'm asking God, and I am in the process of asking God to help me release all of that and to forgive. Because hate isn't always for the in-your-face type of a thing. Hate can be passive, and hate can be aggressive. Passive hatred is kind of like this. Passive hatred is, you know, I don't wish that someone to die, but I don't necessarily want to wish them well either. You know, it's like, I don't want to shoot them in the heart, but if they got shot in the arm, that might not be too bad. I don't want them to lose everything, but if they lost a few cars and a summer vacation home, such like that'd be okay. That's passive hate. <laughs> See, we can have fun and talk about hate. Huh? Smeed says that when we devoutly wish them ill and we are poised to attack, now that's aggressive hate. That's aggressive hate. It's that when you, when you do want them dead, and you might even help it out. I'm serious. It's like, you know, the old saying, you wouldn't spit on their guts if they was on fire, you know. They got what was coming to them. But here's the fact of the matter. Okay, Brother McGee, so I'm just a passive hater. Listen, hate on any level, whether it's passive or aggressive, still needs to be healed and still needs to be dealt with. 
And here's the fact of the matter. And so, see, I'm, do, I'm not just doing this series for you because I'm a hater. I'm not just doing this for you, doing this for me. Here's the fact of the matter. We sometimes look, overlook this, especially when we are in the vice and in the intensity of hate. We overlook the fact that our hate hurts us more than it hurts the one who we are hating. You know what comes to the fact? They are probably just going on about their merry little life. And you're there, gritting your teeth, snarling, giving yourself stomach sores because of the stress and the different chemical levels in your body that's going through because you got all of this emotion bound up inside of you. But in all this, there's something else we need to consider. Is everybody doing okay? All right. Something else we need to consider, and that is not blurring the lines between hate and anger. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because probably before this year's out, my wife's going to do a, a series on anger, and I don't want to tiptoe in the tulips of whatever she might have planned. But we don't want to blur the lines of hate and anger because some will tell you it's wrong to be angry. One thing, anger is just a natural emotion that, of course, usually is covering something up. But nevertheless, the Bible tells us, though, that we can be angry in a proper way and not sin. You all have known and read the scriptures before, but let me rehearse them in your ears. Ephesians 4, 26, be ye angry. What's the next three words? And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Also, I'd like to turn your attention to Proverbs 16 and verse 32. The Bible states these words. He that is slow to anger. Slow to anger. So that means you got a, you got a long wick. Huh. You know, there's people that are quick-tempered, and then there's people that it goes. He that slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Now, again, don't blur the lines between hate and anger. Jesus Christ was angry. Yeah. Even Jesus exhibited moments of anger. The Bible tells us in Mark 3 and verse 5, this is the healing of the man with the withered hand, and there's people standing around. And the Bible says, and when he had, speaking of Jesus, and when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grief for the hardness of the heart, he was angry at them. All right? John 2.15, we all know these stories, but the Bible says when he had made, he comes into the temple. What are you doing? He's cleaning it out. They're selling doves and sacrifices. And when he had made a scourge, of small cords. The scourge is what they even did against the criminals, against their backs. You read of Jesus later, he was taken with scourges. Well, he made a small one. <laughs> it's like, I did, at least I didn't make a big one. I made a small scourge. Sometimes that's how we justify some of our things too. But um, he said that with a small cord, he drove them out of the temple. And it says, and the sheep and the oxen. So when it said he drove them out of the temple, he must not have been talking about livestock right there because he classifies in the sheep and the oxen later. He talking about the people. Uh-huh. He drove them out of the temple, the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers of money and wha-boom! Overthrew the tables. Now, someone might do that being happy, but in this sense, I don't think that's the classification here. He's angry. So we don't need to blur the lines of anger and hatred because here's the thing. Anger can be healthy because angry, for number one, is a sign that you're alive and well, all right? <laughs> But hate is a sign that we are, and I say this, and please understand the, 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 this being couched in what we're talking about. Anger is a sign that we are sick and in need to be healed. Healthy anger, proper and appropriate anger, will drive you to do something to change whatever it was that made us angry. But hate, hate really doesn't want anything to change for the better. It just wants to sit there and keep on hating. And if it can, wouldn't mind making matters just a little worse. So herein is the problem tonight with hate. We, as humanity, have a difficult time hating what was done without hating who did it. i say that again. As humanity, we have a hard time hating what was done without hating who did it. And so for this reason, we often find ourselves not simply forgiving an action that took place, 
but needing to forgive the person who did the action. Now, I don't, I don't know what the percentage may be, and there may be a percentage. I would guess it was quite minuscule and small of those who are absolutely 100% able to just isolate whatever the action was and forgive that and just like that person, they, you know what, they, they, they were taken advantage of by that action. <laughs> you know, having somebody lie, you know, prolific liar, and it's like, just forgive the lie. That person, they were taken advantage of by that lie. It just, you know, it just come and possess their body. I don't think we would, any of us would really have a, a good chance of being able to isolate the action from the person. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 13, 22, again at my Absalom, Ammon, and Tamar story here, okay? And Absalom spake unto his brother, Ammon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Ammon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And so Ammon did this, this wrong deed against Tamar. And ever since that time, her full brother, Absalom, was nurturing, might I say, some passive hate. He was nurturing some passive hate. As a matter of fact, he does that for about two years, nurturing that. And so the Bible says he, he never spoke good nor necessarily bad. In other words, he wasn't overly friendly to Ammon, but he wasn't necessarily outright hateful toward Ammon as well. But after two years of passive hate, simmering coals, he has devised a plan where he can kill Ammon. And so... That alone is proof tonight, I believe, of this, that we don't own our hate. Our hate really owns us. I got this under control. I can drop this any day I want to drop it. Not without forgiveness, you can't. And so this partially ties back to last week a little bit, how remember the process uh, uh, in Ephesians, how bitterness and then there's wrath and then there's, you remember that process where it ends in malice and so you see that progression, you know, it's, it's, it's just passive hate to begin with but now it's shifting over into this aggressive hate of eating, even wanting to take a life. Now look at this, note, note, well, note what the Bible says, that Absalom hated Ammon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Absalom hated the person because of the action. It's right there. He hated Ammon because he had forced his sister. He hated the person because of the action. In other words, Absalom didn't just hate the fact or the idea that Tamar was raped. He hated who raped her. And this is more than likely probably true for most actions that take place in our life that are going to need or require forgiveness because listen actions involve require the involvement of a person in other words there is no action if there isn't somebody to initiate it and so there is where we find ourselves not just being having to deal with an action but we got to deal with a person Smead says this. He says, we attach our feelings to the moment when we're hurt, endowing it with immortality. And when we only hate the wrongness of a thing, our hate dies when the wrong we hate is righted. So when that's righted, that's all it's attached to. But when we hate people who do us wrong, our hate stays alive long after the wrong they did is dead and gone because now we've attached it to a person they still walk by and so i'm like <laughs> or i see whatever going on i'm like uh. and so to us in those cases tonight in those cases although the lie is dead the liar is still alive mm. and uh, <laughs> whenever you find yourself you've been hurt and you've been dealing with different varying degrees of hate there's only really one remedy for that that remedy is our subject matter, forgiveness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse number 11, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, this scripture is used all the time, but I want to put it in its context, okay? It's used all the time. 
Preachers have used this verse to cover or apply various things concerning the Satan's devices or when it even comes to being ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. But the context of the verse actually tells us the devices of the adversary, the devices of Satan that we should not be ignorant of. Satan's devices, this, this is his devices, are to gender a spirit of unforgiveness between people. This is the setting of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 7. These are the verses that come to verse 11. So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. Look at this, verse 10. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes I forgave it in the person of Christ, semicolon, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The true devices of the adversary is this, to have people to remain in spirits of unforgiveness in their relationships, in their homes, in their families, in their churches. Because what does that cause? Division. And Satan gets advantage over us when he can get us to harbor and keep and begrudge wrongs and hurts, frustrations, incongruencies, whatever you want to call them, that have taken place in all the different areas of our life. What does Satan, what's the devices that he's speaking of? Paul's talking about he wants us to be Man, it's powerful up here. He wants it to be in a long, and I might be hitting this chord. He wants it to be in a long process. We want, he wants our forgiveness process to be so drawn out mm -hmm, that we lose time of being able to be in harmony. Because it's hard to work together when you're at each other. You understand? You realize what type of device that could be for a church? What type of device of unforgiveness among members could be? It could stymie the whole progression of a church. He said, but we are, not, we are not ignorant. Look, lest Satan should take advantage of us. And we, sometimes we got to, you know, we got to take the, get the bigger picture. You know, we see they hurt me. You know what I'm saying? We get tunnel vision sometimes. They hurt me. They did this to me, and that's, that's the focal point. We're so honed in on that's what we see. But if we, we take the lens and we put it a little bit broader, you know what we're seeing? Satan's trying to take advantage. Yeah. Satan's trying to take advantage. Because if I could just get him on, well, they hurt me, or such and such said such and such about such and such, and all that stuff, you know what we have? The device of the enemy is live and well, and he's just sitting back. This is good stuff right here. Church can't go forward. Your marriage can't go forward. Your family relationships can't go forward. There's only one remedy to all of that. It's the remedy of forgiveness. If you'll stand with me here tonight. Next week, we'll try to land the plane. Try, try. We'll try to talk about healing. We'll try to talk about coming together. I'd like to try to slip in also some things that we talk about that isn't, they're nice, but they're not forgiveness. Like excusing somebody else. Yeah. I don't know if we'll get there. I'll try. I could actually, this Forgive and Get series, it, it, I'll probably pick it up at different times, and I'll lay it back down, and I'll pick it up, and I'll lay it back down, because there's a whole lot more that we can say uh, beyond just talking about the four stages of forgiving. If we can bow our heads in this place tonight, Father, I come to you right now, Jesus. I know, oh Lord God, that, Lord, some of the things said tonight, Lord, would be, God, difficult, Lord, for us to wrap our hearts and our minds around. God, be hard, Lord Jesus, even to take ownership of. But, God, if we, if we just use some of the even simplest of definitions, God, over some of these terms, God, then, Lord, I must say, Lord, that I have been there and am there, Lord Jesus, right now. I'm praying, oh God, that you would come alongside us as the comforter. Come alongside us as the comforter, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, and lead us through. 
these Lord, uh, these these waters, God, that are God, a little little Lord Rocky, Lord Jesus, that we walk through, not knowing really how to respond, Lord, to the things that are the waves that are crashing up against us. I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, I know, Lord, there's people standing under the sound of my voice that have been hurt. I know there's people, Lord, that may be hurting right now. Lord, personal, Lord, unfair, deep. God, others, Lord, have some, but they've never told another person. They have just kept them totally enclosed <laughs> in their own minds and in their own hearts. I pray, oh God, tonight, Jesus, you're able to help them. God, they've entered that first stage if they've indeed been hurt. But there are others, Lord, that are maybe <laughs> in that second stage tonight, God, <clears throat> that stage of hate. They're not wanting to admit that because that's just a horrid thing. But God, unless they can admit it, unless they do get to a place to admit it, God, they're going to find themselves hard-pressed hard pressed to forgive. And then, God, maybe there's some other people that don't want to admit they're in a place of hate because they don't want to, they don't want to stop. They don't want to stop. It, it kind of feels good right now, and it feels justified. They feel justification in being able to have the feelings that they're having toward whoever or whatever, or the circumstance or problem with the people that they are having it toward and they they just really don't want to let go of that right now because they feel like they have every right to do that i pray oh lord let there be a spirit of forgiveness lord that would overtake us god as you have forgiven us i pray oh lord let there be a spirit of forgiveness that would overtake us god begin to pry our fingers off of that thing lord finger by finger if it's necessary god begin to pry our hand off that thing and allow us to have a release Lord, to be able to offer forgiveness, God, for some of these deep, personal, unfair hurts that we've been passive or aggressively hateful over. I pray we might even, Lord, keep it well sheltered from anybody else that that's the feelings we're having. But we know within ourselves, we know within ourselves, whenever we have encounters or have to have encounters with that, we know what rises inside of us. I pray, oh God, that you would heal us and help heal us. Help us, God, to take the steps, Lord, to forgiveness, Lord. God, as Christians sitting among me tonight, as good people that sat among me tonight, let them not think for a moment that they never have to deal with the human nature side that would desire to hate. Lord, every single one of us in here, and nevertheless who we are, how many years we've been in this thing or not, we all contend with times that we're going to have to deal with hate. That doesn't make us a good, that doesn't mean we're not a good person. That doesn't mean that we're not a Christian. That doesn't, no, no, no. It just means we are a real person and we have a real human nature that we got to contend with from day to day too. And some days it wins and some days it loses. Help us, oh God, to just make ourselves vulnerable. There is no safer place place to make yourself vulnerable than in the presence of the Lord. There's not a safer place to become vulnerable concerning all those type of aspects than in the presence of the Almighty God. Brother Mason, I don't know if you have something we can sing together tonight, but I do feel the presence of the Lord. I feel Him here. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.